0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Wilmington, North Carolina, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling, with numbers specific to Wilmington, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Wilmington. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and we have a really interesting, very cool class today. The class is about accessing equity in properties. And one might think, just hearing the title, that it's about like, how do you pull equity out of properties? And yeah, we'll cover that, but it's that's really not that much to go over. Really, what I'd like to talk about is a couple ideas related to accessing equity and properties. And this this is probably a really deep topic. I could probably could do a full day's class just on this alone. And you're like, really? There's that much stuff to go over? And the answer is, yeah, there probably is a full day's content to kind of go over this. But I will cover kind of like an intro to accessing equity and properties today. And one of the things I wanted to focus in on is this idea on why you might want to pull equity out of properties to begin with. And so when you think about accessing equity and properties, you know, the first glance is your kind of first reaction is, yeah, I want to I have all this money tied up in properties because you know, I bought a property and I'm paying down on the loan and the loan balance is going down and the property value since I bought it has gone up a lot. And so now I've got this massive amount of equity in properties and I want to be able to get at that equity in order to spend it to do something else. And I'm here to tell you, Yes, you definitely can do that and take the money and re-leverage up and buy something else. Uh, you should probably think about, you know, the how that actually changes the different returns you're getting, because the returns on your equity, as you'll see here in a moment, actually change over time. And then when you take that equity out, you pay any costs associated with accessing that equity, and then you move on and, and invest that into other investments, usually by leveraging up, you know, b- buying another property and putting only you know, 20% down or 25% down on the next property when you had, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% equity before, now it changes the characteristics of your returns. Maybe you don't have quite as much cash flow anymore because you've re-leveraged up, but maybe your overall return has significantly increased, which is what we'll talk about first. Okay, so let's go over this. So what I'd like to introduce you to is this concept of the return you're earning on your equity. When we talk about the returns you're earning on an investment property, for example, you might think to yourself, okay, so I've got this return from the property value going up, the return from appreciation. And let's say, you know, it's a $500,000 property as an example, and it's got up 3% a year. So really you've earned $15,000 on that investment. And when you first buy the investment, a lot of times we look at that number and we say, okay, we've earned $15,000. How much did we need to invest in that property in order to acquire it, in order to earn that $15,000? And so you look at your your return, the $15,000 you earned from appreciation, and you divide it through by your total cost to close and technically probably your reserves as well. So you're looking at the return you earned on the amount you had to invest in the deal, or what we would also refer to as your return on investment. Return on investment. Now, once you've gotten past that first acquisition period, the first year or so that you bought a property, then the amount you put into the deal originally matters much less. In fact, at that point, what you're really concerned, is, concerned with is, how much money am I earning? on the equity that I have in my property. Because at this point you're like, look, what's my alternative? I could take this equity I have in this deal and I could pull it out and I could go buy something else. So really what I want to know is how productive is the equity that I have in the property that I could go and then take and do something else with? I could go take that equity and I could go invest it in another rental property that might get a higher return or I could go invest in stocks or bonds or or annuities or whatever else I want to buy in order to take that and get a return on it. So what I really want to know after I've owned the property for any period of time, really, you know, beyond the year. The first year, I think a lot of times we look at return on investment. But as soon as we get beyond that kind of like first year period, a lot of times what we want to look at is return on the equity we have in the property before we go and consider taking that out and looking at other properties. So what I'd like to show you is how this return on equity changes for the various different returns we have on an investment property. So for example, even though the amount you're earning from appreciation, the amount that the property is going up in value is increasing the longer we own it. You know, in that first year, maybe we earned $15,000 in appreciation, but fast forward a couple of years later, now the property's worth $600,000. And even though it went up still that same 3%, now it's not $15,000 in that year, it's now $18,000. So even though the amount of money the dollar amounts that we're earning from appreciation is actually increasing. It's going up each year that we own that property, you know, besides the years that it goes down. But if we have the same appreciation rate, the amount you're earning on equity is going up over time, even though that number is increasing, the, the, the numerator in the equation that we're talking about, the amount of equity you have in your property is also going up. And it's probably going up faster than the amount of appreciation you're going up, which that means is, the amount of return you're earning from appreciation on the equity in your property starts off usually the highest when you first buy the property. And in this case, we're showing it's about 18%. You'll have to do your own deal analysis. And this shows up on the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet for you to go and look at and see for yourself. But it usually appears as the highest when you first buy a property, your return on equity from appreciation, and then it decreases. It goes down over time until eventually it becomes what your raw unleveraged appreciation rate is, which in this case, I've been using as an example, 3% per year. So if your property value is going up 3% per year or 4% per year or 5% per year, that is your unleveraged appreciation rate. And eventually, once you pay off the property and you no longer have debt pay down on the loan, the appreciation rate, is actually your return on equity from appreciation. Okay. So it starts off really high and it gets lower and lower and lower over time. That's what the curve looks like for return on equity from appreciation. Now, let's look at how that changes with cash flow. When you first buy a property and you put a small amount down, you know, 5%, 15%, 20%, 25%, 30%, whatever it is that you put down really small on that property, your cash flow is usually the lowest because over time, The rents on your properties tend to creep up, but the expenses on your property tend to creep up, but not quite as much with all of them except for your mortgage payment, which is usually fixed. Okay, So what tends to happen is your cash flow tends to improve over time. Now, what's going on here when these little kind of like lines that get all jagged and stuff like that, that's the fact that your rent is not going up every month. That we have 12 month leases and then the rents go up and they kind of increase your cash flow. So, the reason why there's jagged edges here is because we've got a, a fixed rent for the lease and then it kind of catches up here. So, you can see the curve though, and your cash flow kind of improves, 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 improves until you get to the point here where you pay off your mortgage and then cash flow really increases and it approaches what basically is cap rate at that point. The cash on cash return on a full paid off property is going to be cap rate. So this has showing you your return on equity, even though your equity is increasing, cash flow is increasing a little bit more, and so it finally sort of levels out, and then eventually pay off the mortgage, and you get to this point. Okay, so that's what return on equity from cash flow looks like. Now, let's look at it from debt pay down. You pay down a little bit of your loan with each monthly payment that you make. And so the amount you pay off starts off relatively small, but that increases over time. The amount of principal you're paying with each payment actually goes up with each payment that you make. And so the final payment you make, you know, payment number 359 or 360, depending on how you're thinking about it, that payment has more principal part of it than it does interest. In the early part of it, your principal, the amount you're paying on principal is really small, but it increases over time. However, your equity is also increasing. So just like the appreciation, Return. Now the return on equity from debt pay down is also going down. So it starts off a little bit above 10% and it kind of decreases and decreases, decreases until finally you pay off the loan and you no longer get any return from debt pay down because your loan is completely paid off. Okay. So the return decreases over time. What are you noticing about this so far? Right. Like the appreciation return is decreasing. Your cash flow once increasing and it kind of bumps up when you pay it off. And your return on equity from debt pay down is also decreasing. You can see that. What's probably likely to happen is the returns we're getting, the longer we own our property, the return on equity we're getting is tending to go down. It's decreasing over time. The longer we own a property, the lower the return we're getting, which is not necessarily a bad thing, except it's no longer quite the amplified, very aggressive rocket booster type returns that we typically see when we first buy a property. The longer you own that property, the less leveraged you are, and the over the lower your overall return on equity will be on that particular property. Okay. So we've covered so far appreciation, cash flow, debt pay down. The last one is the return you're earning from cash flow from depreciation, the tax benefits you get by owning this rental property. And those just like the other appreciation and the debt pay down one starts off high in the beginning and eventually it goes down, 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 down because the amount of cash flow from depreciation is fixed. That is the static number you establish it when you buy the property, and then that decreases over time until 27 and a half years with a residential property, and then that goes away. That benefit drops off completely after you own the property as a rental for 27 and a half years. And so it starts off really high, and then it goes to zero. So three of the four returns, appreciation, debt pay down, and cash flow from depreciation, they all have that similar drop-off type curve where the only one that is not like that is your cash flow one. Okay? So now let's put those all together to show you the relative sizes of them okay This is not graphically summing them. it's all just showing them in comparison. So your biggest return and, and this could vary depending on your property. your property may have much better cash flow or you know much better debt pay down or you know whatever it is for there. but I'd say this is a pretty typical property you know what we would normally see in a, in a relatively normal type property and that is that the return you're earning from appreciation tends to be the highest. The return you're earning from debt pay down tends to be the next highest. The return you're earning from cash flow from depreciation or cash flow, depending on whether your property is a better cash flowing property or the, the, the uh, depreciation benefits a little bit better. Like those are probably the next two and they could be reversed. That's probably the most common switchover point. But then over time, these three returns, they're all kind of coalescing down to they get to either zero for the loan payoff and for the tax benefits, which both go away after a certain period of time. Or from appreciation, it tends to kind of like um, become asymptotic. If you're kind of a math person, it gets, it gets very, very close and eventually hits the, um, the actual appreciation rate that you're using for properties. And then cash flow, it starts off relatively low. It grows until you pay off the property. And then that significantly increases. So you can see though, that the overall returns we're earning on our property over time when we look at the return on equity, are going down, even though the dollar amounts that we're earning on the property are going up, right? The amount of money we're earning in dollars from appreciation has gone up. The amount we're paying down in the loan has gone up. The amount we're earning in cash flow has gone up. The amount we're earning in cash flow from depreciation is the same. Okay. So it tends to be that the dollar amounts of return look better and better and better the longer you hold your property, which is great. But when you think about it as the dollars I'm earning, on how much money I have tied up in this deal, that is getting worse, which incentivizes you. It says, hey, look, maybe I should pull some money out of equity and then go re-leverage up, go buy properties where I get back in this really high part of the curve, okay? Now I'm gonna take this same chart and I'm gonna do something with it, okay? So this is the chart showing you that, you know, the return from appreciation was, you know, probably like 18%, somewhere in there. The return you were getting from debt pay down in this particular example is just over 10%. The return you were getting from cash flow from depreciation was probably around 4%. And then the cash flow one started off really, really low, like almost zero, maybe let's call it 1%. So you could see all those different returns. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to stack them on top of each other so that you could see what the sum, the, the additive benefit, what the, what the sum of all of these different returns are. And that's this chart. So I just graphically add that and I'm showing you that your overall return summed up at the very beginning is 34%. I'm just estimating, right? So it's about 34%. But you could see that, you know, even just 10 years later, the sum is below 20%. You know, it's probably in that 17% range. So this is why I think a lot of folks, they're like, look, my equity has grown so much in this property, especially the last few years, right? Property values have gone up a lot. We have these really low interest rate loans. And so really low interest rate loans, they pay off really fast, faster than higher interest rate loans. Um, and then the, the amount you're earning from your appreciation on the property, the property value is going up. So your equity grew really, really fast. And so this dropped off really, really fast because we had this equity, massive equity growth. And even though rents have gone up a little bit and now properties aren't quite appreciating what they were, you know, you're still paying off that loan pretty aggressively and your depreciation is still static. So you can see that your overall return has dropped off. So you're like, look, if I go do a calculation today and I look at what my return is on equity, it's probably relatively low, and so you're thinking to yourself, well, I've got you know this equity in this property. I've got hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars. You know, if I've got a whole bunch of properties, maybe I've got a couple million dollars in equity. But if I go take that money out, if I access the equity and I take that equity and I go invest it somewhere else, my cash flow is not going to be as great because my cash flow has not been growing as much. It's probably going to be negative in a lot of cases unless I put a lot more down. But if I put more down, I've got the same return on equity issue going on. Where I have a lot of equity tied up in the property, my cash flow is not amazing. So this is the challenge that you you could think about this as just like a mental framework of, you know, if you're if you're kind of familiar with this idea of the 4% rule, right? I could pull out 4% of my money that I'm holding. Um, in the investment, like if I've got money in stocks and bonds and stuff like that, I could safely, I'm using safe and scare quotes here, but the idea using the 4% rule or the 4% safe withdrawal rate or the Trinity study, if you're familiar with that, is that if you have million dollars invested in stocks and bonds, um, you know, using different percentages, depending on how you're doing your calculations, but you could probably, probably in quotes, safely withdraw four thousand four hundred thousand I'm sorry. a year, 4% of a million dollars, $40,000 a year safely and have a very low probability of running out of money. So if you think about this, though, if we were doing a 4% safe withdrawal rate later on on these rental properties... You know, we don't usually think of this 4% safe chart rate with properties, but I'm going to kind of like mix the two together today. If you were doing that, you're earning, you know, probably about 8% overall return. Maybe your cash on cash return, your cap rate is going to be 5%, and then your appreciation rate is going to be about 3 So you're, you're earning a similar amount to what you might earn in the stock market, except now you're pulling out, you know, 4% of this instead of the, you know, the 8% that you're doing. So in that case, you know, you're probably spending most of your cash flow is a way to look at that. However, if you constantly rebought properties and you were earning, let's call it even thirty percent per year, and you were only spending four percent of your equity, but every five years or ten years, you know, when your property, uh, your return on equity dropped below fifteen percent, you re-leveraged up, even though the cash flow wasn't there, and you pulled out some of the money to spend. That's a different way of looking at this, where you could almost—I don't want to mix these too closely—but you could almost think of as a bastardized version of a four percent rule if you were to maximize your return on equity and you kept re-leveraging up. Okay. And that's sort of the idea. If you ever watched my class where I did uh cash flow versus appreciation, where I looked at someone who lived in a market that got really, really good cash flow and I compared them to someone who lived in a market that got really, really good appreciation. And I showed you that in both those cases, you can actually achieve financial independence. They're just different how you have to approach them. And one, you have to tap into equity in order to live and survive. And the other one, you have to tap into cash flow in order to live and survive. Or you, you choose to tap into cash flow because it's easier, right? So just looking at this, you could see. So a lot of the reasons why people want to tap into their equity is to solve this issue of your return on equity dropping off until it gets very, very low, until it becomes basically cap rate plus your unleveraged appreciation rate, which is what happens here. Once you've gotten past your depreciation period, 27 and a half years, and you paid off the loan 360 months in, you get rid of these two other returns. And the only ones that are left over is the cash flow and the appreciation one. Okay? So this is the, the problem that we've kind of like I've been talking about and why I think a lot of folks are interested in tapping into their equity. I think at first blush, a lot of investors are like, I want to tap my equity because I want money right? They, they think to themselves, I really just, I'm looking to buy another property. I want to know where I can go pull money out and then go use that for a down payment. Or I want to sell this off, take the money and invest in stocks or bonds or annuities or something else where you can go and invest in something and get a good return on it. And they may or may not be thinking about this concept of return on equity, but if they pause for a moment and they looked at it, they would say, you know, I think the, one of the reasons why I want to go and pull this money out and do this is because the returns I'm earning, even though their dollar amounts are higher, the return on equity has actually declined. It has dropped off because of this phenomenon where as your equity goes, the returns you're earning on that equity are actually lower. All right, so we talked about this. Many real estate investors may want to maximize their return on equity to keep their returns high. And really what we want to do is maximize the returns on what we call true net equity. Because so far to this point, I've just been talking about equity as the difference between the price of the property and what you owe. And that's not exactly true. Because if you wanted to take that money and you wanted to go invest it somewhere else, what you really want to know is how much money am I going to walk away with after closing when I pay my closing costs, when I pay any real estate commissions, when I pay any capital gains taxes on any of the gains I've had on the property? when I've paid back my uh, depreciation recapture tax, like all of those things need to be paid off before we actually go, go and walk away with equity. And if you look at the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet, there is a section on there, I think it's in the lower right, where it talks about how much equity you have and then what your cost in order to access that equity is. Because there are costs. There is the closing costs, there's the capital gains tax, there's the depreciation recapture tax, because you have to pay tax on the amount of depreciation you took when you sell the property, and then there's your real estate commissions. And so we got to actually take into account those in order to get at, our, get at our equity. So if you think, hey, look, my property is worth this, and my loan is worth this, that's how much equity you have, that is your like raw equity. What you really want to know is how much equity you have when you pay off all those fees, and it may be significantly less than the amount of equity you thought, Okay. So really what you want to do is you want to maximize that return on true net equity because what you're thinking about is what's the return I'm earning on what I would walk away with if I sold that property? Because that's the amount of money you're going to take and you're going to invest in something else that you're going to want to know what return can I earn on that amount. It's not the return you're earning on your raw equity. It's the amount of money you would then get on a return from the money you could walk away with. Because you may have $200,000 in equity, raw equity, but you may only walk away with $100,000 when everything's said and done. And so if you thought you were earning 10% return on your true equity, and now you're really taking only half that back, you got to earn a lot more on your money that you're investing in something else in order to get that same dollar amount of return. Okay, which is why we think in terms of true net equity. So true net equity is the equity after you pay all the expenses to access it, including closing costs, if you're doing a 1031 exchange, any 1031 exchange fees, any real estate commissions, if you've got those, any depreciation recapture, and any capital gains. And then we show your equity, your cost to access this equity, and the return on equity on the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet. I think it's one of the more unique things that we include on our spreadsheet because it is so important. I think there's a a lot of folks that think You know, really what I want to know is when I'm getting into the deal, my cash on cash return on investment, or some people like to use cap rate. So I think a lot of folks are looking at that. Next thing I think a lot of folks look at is what is my dollar amount of cash flow? But I think few people are strategically thinking ahead to, well, what does this deal look like in terms of my return on equity over time? And how am I going to use this when I'm trying to achieve financial independence. It's not just about acquiring the property, making sure that you optimize for the acquisition. It's really, what am I doing with this property? Is this a property I'm gonna be holding in my portfolio long-term at the very end when I'm living off of my investments? Or is this sort of like a, a temporary rocket booster type of return where I'm trying to get like this part of the curve, you know, the early on part of this return on equity curve. And I know that I'm going to be selling this thing once it drops below whatever number you decide, 20%, 15%, you know, 12%, whatever your threshold is for, hey, my property is not performing what it used to, as it used to perform in terms of return on equity. Now it's probably time for me to trade up and re-leverage and buy something else so that I can take the equity I have in this maybe buy two properties or take the equity in this and buy take the equity in two properties and buy three properties with it like it's that sort of thinking that we're doing so you need to decide which assets you're optimizing for and what you're doing with those assets when you're going to be financially independent it's one of the reasons when you use my the, uh, the ultimate financial independence retire early budget we have like spots on there for you to say well what's my budget now What's my budget if I have like at my minimum amount that I need to be financially dependent? And then what's my ideal? And you can look at, how much you need in cash flow or, or or resources invested elsewhere in order to achieve those goals, then you can think to myself, okay, well, how do I get there? Like, which properties in my portfolio do I have already that I'm going to have at that point? You know, are they going to be free and clear? Are they going to have sold mortgages out? Am I going to re-leverage them up? What properties do I still need to buy? And which ones am I definitely selling to pay off other properties or to invest in something else like stocks or bonds or annuities or whatever, okay? And that's the thinking I think you need to do. All right, enough of that tangent because- I get excited about this stuff, as I hope you can tell. Now, there are many other classes, as I said, about this particular topic. As I mentioned at the beginning of class, this could be a full-day seminar. This, co- this whole idea related to equity and return on equity and how all this works with examples and moving it around and kind of comparing and should I sell my property? Should I go and re-leverage and how that moves my returns from one quadrant to another? Like all this stuff, it's a full day. Okay. And I don't know if I'm going to do a full day, but it could be a full day. If not, I will do a whole bunch of mini classes like this on different parts of it. And we'll eventually get it all covered, but just realize that's where we're headed. Okay. So to summarize this slide though, that's why some real estate investors will want to access their equity. Now, the slide that you probably thought you were coming to this class for. So how do we do that? And it's relatively simple. You can access equity in a property in two ways. You could borrow your equity or you could sell to release equity, okay? So when you go and you borrow your equity, you're doing like a cash out refinance. You're pulling cash out of your deal in order to get some of the equity and convert it into money you have. But you have to pay an interest rate to borrow that money. You know, There's a traditional cash out refinance where you just pull money out and you do that. There's a reverse mortgage where you could pull money out and maybe you don't have any payments on it. Maybe it uh, just accrues. And that's usually for uh, people that are of a certain age or older and it's on their primary residence. So you can't really do that on investment properties, the reverse mortgage. Or maybe you go in there and use like a hard money loan on the investment property in order to pull that money out. Or maybe you go and you ask grandma or your uncle for a private money loan to loan money against the property you have, and you actually borrow your own equity that way. The other variation on borrowing your equity, home equity loans, home equity lines of credit, or other second liens on the property. And in some cases, you may find a lender who's willing to do like a blanket loan across multiple properties so that you can access all of them in one loan. And then you may have to get special permission to release that property if you're gonna go sell it or refinance it or whatever you're gonna do. But you have to go and think about that, whether you wanna do like, one-offs and do a whole bunch of these little onesies, home equity lines of credit, or you know, cash out refinances, or you want to go put like a blanket line of credit or home equity line of credit or equity line of credit across multiple properties in order to do that. So that's the whole borrow your equity side of the how do you access equity and properties. The other way is you sell. Okay, You sell the property and you release equity. You can sell the entire property outright, pay whatever cost you have, any capital gains, any depreciation recapture taxes, or do a 1031 exchange and not be able to actually take your equity and spend it the way you want unless you're willing to pay you know, some portion of that or take that money and then reinvest in another property is what 1031 exchange is. We'll probably have to do a whole class on that. We've got a whole class on it, but I'll probably do another updated one on that. But the idea is you sell your property and then you get access to that. Or one that I don't think a lot of folks think of is you could have a partner come in invest in your deal or your entire business if you wanted to do it that way but let's just do a single deal to give you the same idea have a partner come in and invest in your single deal they're really buying part of your equity you're giving up a portion of your current ownership to get some cash out and then you could use that cash out to go because it's yours to go buy another property and repeat so the idea is you go buy a property you've held it for a little bit of time and instead of you wanting to you kind of like get your property um I lost my train of thought here. Um, you basically uh, get your property and then you sell part of your equity in order to access the cash out, to get cash out of the property. And then they participate in the ownership of the property. They get cash flow, they get appreciation, they get debt paid out. Or you could sell off just streams of income, right? You could say, look, uh, I'm going to sell you the cash flow stream, or I, I will sell you the equity when I go sell this property, give them an option to buy the property. And they're participating just in the upside from appreciation and maybe debt paid out or just the appreciation. Okay. So you can do lots of different things with that. Okay. So that is the accessing equity property. So in conclusion, return on equity tends to go down over time as equity increases. That's this chart that we showed. Okay. So that kind of return on equity drops off. Many real estate investors will want to optimize their return on equity. And honestly, it's probably their return on true net equity. So accessing equity becomes important. Really, the the main options of getting your equity are borrow your equity or sell to release equity. Those are the two main schools of thought for how do you get equity out of property. It's not that complicated. I mean, there's probably a little bit of nuance and detail in there, but really those are the big picture ways to do it. That's all I got. Doesn't look like there are any questions. Hope you guys enjoyed class. This has been James Orr. Have a great day. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates. cash flow on rental properties in Wilmington is harder than ever. Book a call with the Real Estate Financial Planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rental. See the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today. If you're a real estate agent, lender, or professional in Wilmington that wants to help our real estate investor listeners, consider reaching out to learn about collaboration opportunities with this podcast.